0: The Home Ranch by Ralph Moody, 1956, University of Nebraska Press, and Chapter 27, Cloudburst. Lord, uh, last time we read this, we uh, read about the fight, and uh, there are things that make me think about how um, there are things worth fighting for, people worth defending, and yet our own selfishness, our own self-righteousness, that clouds our judgment and our perspective. So, as, we, as each of the kids and grandkids keep growing, Father, give them a right uh, understanding of their own uh, need for uh, forgiveness, reconciliation, uh, the work that you do, Lord God, in their lives, um, that you would grow as, as uh, people who are peacemakers. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 27, called Cloudburst. Okay, Mr. Bachelet never mentioned the fight in the bunkhouse, nor asked any questions that I know of. I didn't hear him come in during the night, but he was dressing when I woke up in the morning. At the breakfast table, he looked over at Mr. Bent and said, Reckon you can spare Ned to go along with Zeb till I pick a new hand? The way the trade's going, I don't like to pull a team off the trail. Mr. Bent winked at me and said, The way old little britches and me had our crews working Saturday, I reckon we'll make out. Find a new hand or no. That was the last of our having a regular home ranch cow hand. Mr. Bent, Hazel, and I were in the saddle every morning at sunrise and until it went down again. We were only out long enough to eat, but we seldom missed a half hour's practice on the tricks, and it wasn't too long before Hazel and her father could do them as well as High and I ever had. Little by little, Lady learned to handle cattle and brush as well as an open prairie, but Blue Boy was almost useless. I tried him at cattle sweeping a dozen times when I had both Pinch and Lady worn down, but I could never stop him from plunging and ripping. I knew he should have been turned out to the mountain pasture, but I couldn't seem to give up on him. Night after night, I rode him at a high run for eight or ten miles to see if I could work some of the drive out of him, but it never did any good. Most of the time, Mr. Bent, Hazel, and I worked as a team, sweeping the canyons and gullies during the day, bringing in the stock we'd gathered before the sun was too low, then cutting, sorting, and booking in the early evening. If we got behind with our work, Jenny would come out and help us for part of the day. Jenny didn't know anything about our naming cows until she began working with Hazel and me. She thought it was a lot of fun and helped us until we had nearly every cow on the home ranch named. Of course, we ran out of last names after the first few weeks, so we had to name some of the older cows Mrs. Arthur Jones or Mrs. Frank Smith, but we saved all the girls' names for the heifers. By mid-August, we used up all the trading stock on the home ranch, so Mr. Batchley decided to bring in the best yearlings from the mountain pasture. It was about 20 miles up there, and we started out at dawn on Sunday morning, taking spare horses, grub for two days, and clay to do the cutting. I was riding Lady, and as I led Pinch and Clay out of the horse corral, Mr. Batchett said, Why don't you take Blue Boy along and leave him up there? It won't be long till Labor Day, and you'll have to be going back to school anyways. I didn't know I cared so much about Blue Boy, but a lump came into my throat when I tried to say, All right, my feelings must have showed in my face, too, because Mr. Bachelet grinned and said, Ah, leave him stay. We'll run him out with the rest of the horses when their trading season's over. I remembered to say, thank you, but I hurried away before he could change his mind. Our ride up the mountain pasture would have been fun if Hank hadn't gotten on everybody's nerves. He was wound up tighter than I'd ever known him to be, and he couldn't keep still two minutes at a stretch. First, he was bragging about things he used to do when he was young. Then, about how much better trader and trail herder he was than Sid. And in between, he kept telling us that a cloudburst was coming. "'My doggies, Batch!' he shouted, so loud that the echoes overlapped each other in the canyon. "'I'll be dang careful about put, put, putting men and hosses up this canyon with a sky that looks like, like yonder to the east. "'Cloudburst sky! That's what it is. Why, I recollect when—' "'Ah, recollect to yourself,' Tom called to him. "'You wouldn't know a cloudburst if you was caught in one.' By dogs, I'm telling you, Hank yelled back, but Mr. Bachelet looked around hard at him, and he kept still a few minutes. When he began again, it was about my being a fool for not bringing Blue Boy along to pasture. The mountain ranch was really government land that Mr. Bachelet leased. I don't know how many miles square it was, but if it had been smoothed out flat, I think it could have covered the whole state of Delaware. There were no fences, but old Tom Haney lived up there in a little cabin and kept the stock from drifting. With the mountains and canyons for natural fences, old Tom didn't have much to do. He was deaf and old, with long white whiskers, but he knew every foot of that mountain ranch, and just where we'd find the stock Mr. Bachelet wanted brought in. Mr. Bent knew the mountain ranch almost as well as old Tom. They bossed the roundup crew while Mr. Bachelet, Hank, and I did the sorting, cutting, and holding. Mr. Bachelet told me which yearlings to cut out, took them away from the herd, and ran them into a box canyon for Hank to hold. I think he gave Hank that job just to keep him from bothering the other men. We worked until a full dark Sunday night. When then we were added again by dawn Monday. By mid-afternoon we had 160 yearlings ready to move back to the home or ranch. Even with young stock, there isn't much worth work to driving cattle through mountain canyons. There's hardly any place for them to go except where you want them to. After a hard day and a half of rounding up and cutting cattle, we were all tired and wanted to rest a little. But Hank kept up a steady stream of howling about a cloudburst coming. When we were within a mile of the canyon where I'd first heard Zeb sing Yalla Ribbon, I saw Mr. Bachelet wink at Mr. Bent. Then he stopped his horse and called out, Where's them three brindle steers that was lagging? Hank, you let them slip past you. Go on back and hunt them, and don't show up again till you've found them. Hank pulled in a lungful of air to shout something. But I guess the tone of Mr. Bachelot's voice changed his mind. He let his shoulders sag, turned his horse, and jogged it back up the creek bed. I couldn't have been the only one who saw Mr. Bachelot wink. As soon as Hank was out of hearing, all of the men, except Zeb, began to laugh and called back and forth to ask if anybody had seen three brindle steers. Sid wanted to visit with Jenny that weekend instead of going to the mountains, past mountain pasture, and he'd been a bit grumpy. But as soon as Hank was gone, he started to clown and axe as if he were trying to do trick stunts. Tr- Sid had everybody, even Zeb, laughing when the lead yearlings headed into high-walled Yellow Ribbon Canyon. Suddenly, we were heard, we heard shouting and the pound of a horse's hoof in the dry creek bed behind us. In another minute, Hank raced his horse around the shoulder of the mountain, waving his arms and shouting, it's coming, it's coming, cloudburst, cloudburst, floods are coming. The sky above us was clear and bright, but there was no mistaking the terror in Hank's voice. And... Above the sound of a shouting, I could hear a low, dull rumbling, kind of like thunder that's a long way off. I had never heard that exact sound before, but Mr. Batchlet and Mr. Bent seemed to know all about it. Mr. Bent spurred his horse out of the creek bed and ran it along a narrow, rocky ledge racing to get in front of the herd and turned it back from the narrow canyon. Mr. Batchlet was right behind him, shouting orders as he spurred, Split them, boys! Split them, boys! Turn them back and up the mountainside! With ropes flogging and spurs flying, we fought our way through the frightened, bewildered yearlings, splitting the herd, stampeding it, shouting, yelling, and driving it up a mountainside that was steeper than a church roof. I was lucky to have my saddle on Pinch. He seemed to sense the danger as well as any man in the outfit, and he was no longer pinching. His bare yellow teeth ripped and cut, driving the frightened yearlings in a swarm before him. There were only two men who were not shouting at the top of their voices, Zeb and Hank. A dozen or more times, I saw Hank striking with his rope end, as a cattle, sn- as a rattlesnake strikes with his head. But his mouth was clamped tight, and there was no fumbling. Each time his rope lashed out, the knot f- caught a yearling on the rump, and no man in the outfit kept his head any better. We had most of the stock out of danger when I saw a wall of water coming around the shoulder of the mountain where Hank had raced three minutes earlier. It didn't look very dangerous, or as if it were coming very fast. But within another three minutes, the creek was, creek was a racing, raging river, 10 or 12 feet deep, where it where it's sucked in to shoot through Yellow Ribbon Canyon, the one we'd have been in if Hank hadn't saved us. It leaped and plunged, with white foam whipping back and forth like the mane of a sta- on a fighting stallion. Mr. Bachelet stepped down from his house, took off his hat, and with it in his hand, climbed along the mountainside to where Hank sat on his horse. We couldn't have heard him if, we'd, if he'd spoken, but I was watching his face and knew he didn't. He just reached up, shook hands, then turned and put his hat on And uh, as he went back to his own horse. there is no way out of the mountains except through Yellow Ribbon Canyon, and any stock that went through it that night would be coyote, coyote food. Three or four of our yearlings did go down, fighting wildly for a minute or two, then being rolled and swept along with the dead wood that rode the crest. There was nothing to do but cling to our perches on the mountainside until the flood had passed and dawn came. I think all the men expected, as I did, that Hank would brag of his having been right about the cloudbursts coming and of his saving our lives, but he didn't. One by one, they climbed to where he was to where he was perched, took off their hats, and shook hands. When I put my hand out and told him he'd saved my life, he said, Reckon that leaves us even. I ain't forgot the time I got up I got us lost up here. I know I dozed off a little during the night, wedged be- behind a boulder so I wouldn't roll into the flood. And I think most of the others did too. A few, a heavy dew fell, and toward morning a chilly wind came down the canyon. It made our teeth chatter and our legs and stomachs cramp, but I didn't hear anyone complain. I guess they were all thinking, as I was, that we might have been tumbled and rolling like the dead calves and driftwood on the crest of that flood. By dawn the flood had passed and the creek was only a sprawling brook again. But the high water mark showed, black and far ahead above my head, as we pushed the nervous yearlings through Yellow Ribbon Canyon. When we'd passed through and came come out between the hogbacks, the buildings of the home ranch came into sight a, across a sea of brush-covered ridges. They were little more than specks among the brush, but few places have ever looked better to me. It had been less than two and a half months since I'd first come to the home ranch, and then it had meant little to me. I would looked forward to being a real cowpoke, like the ones who brought the Longhorns up from Texas. But it hadn't worked out that way. Instead, with the exception of the dust storm trip, I'd only been a ranch boy, doing the things that hundreds of other ranch boys were doing. And my partner had been a freckle-faced little girl with pigtails. As I rode along behind the bawling calves, I tried to feel sorry for myself, but I couldn't. After the first week, there had hardly been a minute all summer when I'd have traded my job for anything in the world. I didn't care if I did have a girl for a partner. There were few cowhands who could could do a better job with milk cows or that i liked to work with any better. Much as I wanted to see mother and the children at home, I found myself being a little bit sorry that I'd have less than three more weeks on the home ranch. It was mid-forenoon when when we brought the yearlings into the big cutting corral and there was no chance for any rest before we got the trading herds cut and ready to take the trail at dawn next morning. Mrs. Bent and Jenny had breakfast waiting for us and as we ate, Mr. Bachelet told us what his plans were. This'll be the last go-round, he said, and I aim to strike out for the purgatory again. There's need for good young bulls to improve the range stock in that country, and they'll take yearlings if they can't get older stock. Zed, how about you and Ned take a bunch of steers along the foothills between the springs and Pueblo? You could figure on trading two for one. Take feral cows if you have to. There's grass enough here to winter him through. Zeb was stuffing away flapjacks, half a one half a one at a mouthful but he nodded and Mr. Batchett went on reckon I'll take you and Tom I'll let you and Tom go back into the South Park country Sid take heifer stuff along and trade out as best you can two for one three for one if you have to we're getting a late start but I want you back here by two weeks from tonight it'll take a few days to drove to round up to the Denver herd and I aim to have it in Littleton by Labor Day I'd been listening but not paying too much attention until Mr. Batchelor said Tom would be going with Sid. That left only Hank or me to go on the purgatory trip. I knew how much Hank always irritated Mr. Batchelor, so I was sure he'd pick me. Hank must have thought so, too. He seemed awfully sober and disappointed, but not for long. When Mr. Batchelor had finished talking to Sid, he looked down the table and asked, Reckon you and I could make it to the purgatory and back in two weeks old, Timer? Hank's face lit up like a sunflower, and he shouted back, Reckon so, batch, By doggies, I wreck. Then his voice dropped low, and he went on, Reckon we could. I rid that their country some when I was a young fella. <laughs> okay.